We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing singer, we are still in the essay, Godless Morality, and we're beginning from the point on page 16. Consider the following three scenarios. All right. Consider the following three scenarios. For each, fill in the blank, word. Fill in the blank space with obligatory, permissible, or forbidden. A runaway boxcar is about to run over five people walking on the tracks. A railroad worker is standing next to a switch that can turn the boxcar onto a side track, killing one person but allowing the five to survive. Flipping the switch is obligatory. Obligatory? Why? Because from the utilitarian perspective, it uh, provides the greatest degree of utility because you're saving okay. five lives instead of saving one. Okay, so what if that one person is your mom? From that perspective. So that's fine from a utilitarian perspective. What about from an NB perspective? <laughs> um, I guess flipping the switch is permissible. <laughs> it's not forbidden. <laughs> okay, maybe your mom might not be the best example. What if it's, um, uh, do you have any nieces or nephews yet? Yes. Okay, so what if it's one of your nieces or nephews? Then what? Oh, interesting. I don't know, because it's like five people. Yeah. What if all those five people are <clears throat> ones like Adolf Hitler? I mean, they're all, let's say all five of them are, are people who orchestrate genocides. And the one person is a child. Then what? That's the exact point of the exercise. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, like, permissible, because, like, it means you can do it if you want, but you don't have to do it. Okay. So, like, in this scenario with, like, my mother and my niece, like, if I was in that situation, yeah. I probably wouldn't flip it. Okay. Would any scenario be forbidden? Flipping the switch is forbidden. Um, I mean, I guess in that example that you gave... It would be forbidden because you'd be saving more lives by actually not flipping the switch. Okay. So, so, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer for any of these. A common answer from the general Islamic perspective is, uh, a way to look at it is not by quantity, but the fact is, it's not that there's five people, but give each one of them, for example, a name. Okay. So, you know, Muslim name or not, so we'll say... You know, Mahmoud, Jamila, I can't even think of Ahmad, they're all going to be related to Ahmad, right? Uh, Omar Mari Marusa, those are me and my sister's names, all right? And the person on the other side is, let's say, Pit Nashi, right? And so, so we are not able to evaluate from a dunya perspective or from a, uh, an akhira perspective who's more valuable than the next, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, so a common answer here is, uh, flipping the switch is forbidden in the sense that, okay, you leave that up to Allah Ta'ala, right? Um, but I'm not saying that's the Islamic answer, but the idea being that it's lose-lose, and if it's a lose-lose situation, sometimes you try to figure out, all right, 
then in which way is at least lose-lose? But here, you can't measure it. So another way to think about it is that, all right, so we have the I, uh, if you take one life, it's as though you've taken all mankind, right? Say one life, it's as though you've saved all mankind. And so <clears throat> one way to read that is that the human being is so valuable that if you lose one, you may well have lost all of mankind. You can't even put a measurement on it, right? Like, can you truly measure if one person is more valuable than the next? Even, let's say, one person is a horrible criminal, um, and another person is very, very innocent, but let's say that horrible criminal later does tauba. You know what I'm saying? Like, think for the case of Omar. He wanted to do what is perhaps the worst possible thing a person can do, which is to try to kill the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then he went on to becoming one of the most important of all people ever. Right. And yeah, so the basic notion is that there is no uh, right answer to this. And so the end result is that, all right, you let Allah Ta'ala decide that one. That's the common answer. That's the answer that works best for me. But yeah, I agree with you from a utilitarian perspective that save the five and, and lose the one, right? But then if you turn it into a personal perspective, five strangers versus my child, I'm going to say, sorry, five strangers, yeah. right? And, and that's part of the point of the whole exercise. But yes. if you are using that reason, like saying, yeah. leave it in the hands of Allah. Like, if you yeah. see a person drowning in a lake, you can be like, oh, I'll just leave it in the hands of Allah. Okay, well, that's a perfect uh, segue into the next question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you pass by a small child drowning in a shallow pond, and you are the only one around. If you pick up the child, she will survive, and your pants will be ruined. Picking up the child is obligatory. Okay. Give me a scenario where it would be forbidden. Tough one, huh? What if, uh, like the Hitler example we we're talking about, what if we that you would be informed somehow from the future? That this child, um, um, have you seen the the first Spider-Man movie from like fifteen years ago, ten years ago? But, um, Tobey Maguire. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the first two. Yeah. Maybe it was the first three. Anyway, um, so so, what was the story? Okay, so there was a guy who. Oh yeah, the robber guy. Yeah, the robber and guy. He let him go, and he ended up killing his uncle. Yeah. yeah. So what if you were to find out that this child? is later on, in five years, let's say this child right now is five years old, mm -hmm. in 10 years, no, 20 years, so as, as a young man, young woman, this child is then going to kill members of your family. But like, in that situation, like, like we don't, like this, that's not applicable to real life though, so uh -huh. like we can't use that example, because okay. we don't know, so we just have okay. to like use what we have, right? Okay, now. then let's flip it around. Let's say, so you're saying uh, picking up the child is obligatory, okay? Yeah, because like, 
I don't know, like, just how you said, like, you don't know the value of someone. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Okay. Uh, but it would be fair to say that that child, in every scenario we can think of, is more valuable than my pants. Yes. Right? Okay. Now, let's say you have saved the child. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then let's say 30 years later, somebody breaks into your house and kills everyone. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you discover that the child was the one who killed everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. Would you have regret for having saved the child? Yes. Yeah. And sure, yeah, in that moment, in a real world scenario, you're not going to know what the child's going to grow up to become. Yeah. Right? Um, but yeah, you may regret having saved the child. Yeah, and maybe it's, let's even make it like as slightly more realistic of it as possible. You save the child, <coughs> and um, then you start getting recognized as a hero. Okay? And uh, the child's family is just giving you all kinds of respect and attention and everything, right? And then the child is going through life, and let's say it's a super wealthy family, and the child is, is um, not getting any attention from, from, from their parents, even though you got all this attention because you saved their child, but their child is kind of like a spoiled brat in the sense that the parents are not, never around, mm-hmm. and they just fill the child up with every toy and every luxury. And so the child... Uh, out of revenge, wants you to pay for, you know, their unhappiness. And so then they kill all of your family members. Good. What do you think? I mean, this is totally, it's clear that I've watched too many movies, but um, uh, would you then regret it? Yes. Yeah. And so that scenario, like, you know, how history played out, sometimes what we have to do is go back and say, I made the best choice that I could have. In that, in the moment that I was in, this is commonly an issue, like a point that I have to bring up when I am, you know, uh, consoling people who've lost a loved one, Uh, because the, you know, when you lose a loved one, you know, through death, through sickness, whatever it is, you'll often find yourself thinking, okay, if only I did this, they'd still be alive. If only I did that, they'd still be alive, right? Or, if only I talked to them one more time, or if only I told them how I, you know, how I really feel, I've been holding back these, these, these feelings out of pride or whatever, right? And so when we look back at the past, we have to say, even if it wasn't the best choice, even if I was stubborn, in my mind, I still made the best choice that I could have, right? And this is, this is where free will and predestination becomes important, because it helps us cope with how life played out, right? A lot of times we get caught up in, okay, how can you have free will and predestination? But predestination becomes important. This, these are ayahs from Surat uh, Al-Hadid that basically, all right, when you lose something, it was written. So don't fall into despair. And I think, have I given you the, like the, um, the parking example that I, that I give? I may have at some point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so I was a, a real-world example. I was visiting, so I was going to go have dinner with a student, right? And we were going to go to Reza's. And it's funny, we, we'll go there just because we like hummus, right? Me and this kid, we like hummus a lot. And so I parked my car right in front of Reza's, and I'm looking everywhere for a sign, 
the parking, you know, no parking sign or anything. I see nothing. And so I go inside, eat, come out, and there's a parking ticket. And then I look, and there's literally a no parking sign right in front of my car that even though I looked for it, I couldn't see it anywhere, right? So I had to say, well, that was Allah's will. I tried, and I didn't see it. And so it was Allah's will for me to get the ticket. It was Allah's will for me to lose whatever that was, 50 bucks, 150 bucks, right? And maybe it was Allah's will for that to happen so I could turn it into a lesson many, many times in the future. I wonder if that's the reason, right? And then, <clears throat> maybe a year or two after that, I was going out to dinner with, with some friends, also at Reza's. And I knew not to park in that spot. And I knew wherever it is I'm going to park, I'm going to absolutely make sure it's going to be okay. So I find another place, and I'm staring at the sign. Okay. And it says, you can't park from this time to that time. And I'm looking, and I'm verifying, and I'm verifying again. Okay, I can park here right now. Go inside, come have dinner, come back out, parking ticket. And I look at the sign again, and it was obvious. I could, it was completely clear I could not park at that time. For whatever reason, in that moment, my brain wasn't working. Right? And so either I could feel, oh, man, another ticket. Or just say, well, it was Allah's will. Right? And Allah Ta'ala allowed it to happen, or Allah Ta'ala made it happen, and so he's not going to give me anything I can't handle. So even, I don't remember what my financial situation was at the time, but um, even if I'm in a situation where I would have taken a very hard hit financially, I'd still have to say, well, Allah Ta'ala is going to take care of me. But this is an important point about when we're looking at the past especially, that it was Allah's will for those things to happen that way. So yeah, I think in this case, the answer would be picking up the child is obligatory. But then I'm saying that if I feel regret later on for saving that child because of all these other things that had happened, that I can't do. I should not have regret. Okay. The pain is understandable. Okay. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Alright, let's go to numero tres. Five people have just been rushed into a hospital in critical condition, each requiring an organ to survive. There is not enough time to request organs from outside the hospital, but there is a healthy person in the hospital's waiting room. If the surgeon takes this person's organs, he will die, but the five in critical care will survive. Taking the healthy person's organ is... Okay, so this is a slight variation on the first one. Okay, what do you think? Even though, based off the reasoning that I used earlier, I should say obligatory because it's like five times uh -huh. over one. Yeah, exactly. But, but it's not like, I don't know, I feel like it's different because. It's different. Actually, I guess it's not different because you were actually flipping the switch yourself and over here you actually killed the person yourself too. Well, um, I think there is one significant difference. What is it? That the first person is not in danger, the healthy person is not in danger. Yeah, exactly. You're putting him in danger? Yeah. So it's like you're throwing him on the tracks. Exactly. That's exactly it. Like in the first scenario, one person is, is like uh, tied onto the tracks, and five people are tied onto the tracks, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Right? In this scenario, n that other person is on the tracks. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's forbidden over here. Yeah, I would probably say forbidden on this one. Because you can't take their organs without their permission. Yeah. You can beg them, right? You can plead, but you can't do that. This is this is uh, 
relate to utilitarianism, the whole conversation about the greater good, doing what's for the greater good and such, correct? And so one of the, the ethical, biomedical ethical questions as of late has been, can you do medical testing on human beings? And now I think a lot of companies do, like quietly, um, but the people who are being tested may not know. So one of the famous examples of that is the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, where they would, these physicians, as part of some research, um, as part of a government research project, gave syphilis to some African-American, I think, women. Didn't tell them, right? And they did it for research. And it became a huge controversy controversy probably in the last 10 years or so when the news came out. They did it like maybe 80 years ago, right? And, and, and this becomes one of the real, real uh, tough questions because if we say, no, you can't do testing on human beings, um, but you want to make sure that this medication that will cure people mm-hmm. will... Uh, will be, you know, as foolproof as possible. The argument is that, okay, at some point we do have to do testing in human beings. I would say that, no, even then the answer is no, you can't, right? Um, and I'd almost even say, even if you tell them all the risks, um, I'm still not a fan of it, right? So often um, you'll see ads in university, hospital, uh, or by university hospitals saying, okay, we're doing some testing on, um, let's say, you know, a treatment for smoking, okay, or a treatment for depression, and we'll pay you like 500 bucks if you go through the testing, okay, and they'll try to give you like uh, as much as they know about the, about the risks, and the theory, the way they can justify is to say that, okay, you are being informed of the risks, so you are doing this voluntarily, okay, but then it can become like the scenario we gave for the previous case, so what if you go through the testing, okay, either you're doing it for the 500 bucks, okay, or you might be doing it to help find cures for other people, uh, but what if it turns out to be very damaging to you, okay, in such a way that it damages your genetics, so then it passes down to your child, right, but nobody told you, and maybe they didn't know, then again, it can be a thing about regret that, all right, I made the best choice that I could have, and either I can just live in regret or say, all right, um, I wish I didn't do that, but I did, and Allah knows best, right? But yeah, this is this is one of the big questions. So a lot of this is where a lot of multinational companies um, uh, should get in big trouble, but they don't, because even though the laws in America might say you can't do this, they'll just go to a place like India and say, yeah, it's fine, right? Or they'll go to a place like Africa. And, and do whatever it is, where they can get away with this type of testing. And you might have a whole village of people who don't even know what's going on. And all these experiments are being done on them. Yeah. And that's how the world works today. Yep. How about animal testing? What do you think? So let's change this. You have these five people, not enough time to request, uh, request your organs, but there's an animal right there that if you take their organs, the organs of that animal, you're going to kill the animal, but at least these people will, will survive long enough to where you can actually put in, you know, the requests, you know, to, to find, you know, human donors. What do you think? 
because a human life is more valuable than an okay. animal life. Okay. Um, what would be scenarios where we would have to say no? Think about that one. Like, I'm thinking about, like, how animals are really mistreated. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, like, it's not just, like, oh, we need to do this. It's, like, they're, like, given these terrible diseases and yeah. viruses and everything, and they're just being mutilated and thrown around. And uh-huh. I don't know. It's just... Yeah. But the vast majority of medications we have... Are only possible because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. That's one of the tough questions. So this also becomes one of the questions in terms of like medical ethics, research of medical ethics. Is that different than the fact that we're allowed to eat animals, you know, in theory against their will? Well, they're not suffering, but I guess if you use the beehive them properly. Oh, yeah. yeah. So let's say you use the beehive these animals properly. Then. Then what? Is it okay? You know, is it easier to to accept right taking all these organs and stuff? Yes. Uh-huh. Because, like, it's a crab that can give you heaven. Uh-huh. That's okay. Ultimately, that's a very, very big answer. That in the, uh, the answers, obligatory, permissible, forbidden, might come from our primary sources. Right? Um, but I don't know if it changes your scenario that, all right, when we're doing testing on animals, we're putting them all through all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Right? We might try to change their genetics. We might try to merge them, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, the the one of the memories that st- the images that sticks out to me is I don't know what the experiment was, but they physically attached a human ear to a mouse, right? I don't remember what the point of the test was, but all this is testing. Okay. So I think one way would would to uh, address this would be to figure out okay what is the goal of the test is the goal of the test to find possible cures. That's one scenario, okay, or treatments. Is the goal of the test to experiment and see what happens, okay? That's different. Is the goal of the test to find a possible cure that we can then sell and make a ton of money off of, okay? Then that's a profit motive. Um, We might say that, all right, it's a good intention. I mean, it's a a good result that you'll get a cure, but it's basically to promote the company. Okay. That seems problematic. Okay. Uh, the first scenario might seem okay, which is you're looking for a cure, you want to test if this is going to work. Uh, but the one in the middle, what do you think about that? Experimenting to see what happens. Like taking frogs and putting them in space. See what happens to the frogs. See if we learn anything. Wow. I mean, if they're going to be putting people in that situation, I guess that makes sense because uh-huh. they want to make sure that the people won't die uh-huh. and explode themselves. Uh-huh. So it is to prevent harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they used to... I think before um, humans were put into space, monkeys were put into space, right? To see what would happen. And those are the questions of ethics. And one point that, that, uh, that we reach here is that a lot of times... You know, some of these things are so qualitative that it's hard to really come up with a, uh, a satisfactory answer, but we might look at what do our texts say mm-hmm. to at least help us. What about, like, makeup companies? Like, they test their products. Yeah, companies. that's another perfect example, because that's appearance. That's not health. Okay. Now, it can become part of a psychological health. Like, an interesting story, I forgot who the woman was. She was, 
she does a lot of uh, relief work for women in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so all these women are dressed in burqas. You can't see anything. And, and so she was in contact with these women coming back from wherever she was, America or Europe or something, and asking them, uh, okay, is there anything you'd like me to bring for you? And she was expecting them to say, can you bring this medicine, that medicine? And many of the women were asking, can you bring us the latest makeup? Okay. Now keep in mind, no one can see them. But they want to wear the makeup for themselves. Okay. Uh, which I think is true for a lot of people. Sometimes we might wear, you know, a, a woman might wear makeup or whatever is uh, even about a man's appearance. They might do it for, you know, for to get validation from other people mm-hmm. or uh, low self-esteem in terms of other people. And sometimes it's, they're doing it for themselves. And, you know, having, having daughters, um, I do think a lot of times, you know, women will, will get themselves uh, all in their minds pretty uh, for themselves or among each other. And not in any sort of competitive way, but that's just what they like to do. Yeah. Right? And so, uh, what do you think? So, like, if people are going to use makeup, like, you can't really change anything about that. Uh-huh. Then it's probably necessary to test out animals because it... Uh-huh. You don't want a person's face, like... Uh-huh. I don't know. Scarred. Yeah. yeah. Something like that happens. And then, and then uh, the way to address that would then be... To, if we think that the makeup thing is a problem or the fact that we do have to test the animals because of the situation, then we might try to change the behavior in our society so that we then don't have to go through the animal thing. So another example of that would be, okay, so the ideal of eating meat for Muslims is just like, it's like that much, like one patty every 40 days or so. That's the ideal. So moving beyond zabiha and everything. So it might be fine to eat zabiha meat. Okay. Problem number one is most of the zabiha meat you buy in Chicago is the lowest quality meat available. Chipotle meat will be higher quality than most of the Zabiha meat places. Yeah. Um, and Chipotle meat will more likely have animals that are treated quote-unquote humanely, except at the time of slaughter. Okay. Um, and then in theory, our Zabiha meat, in theory, at the time of slaughter, is treated humanely, in theory. Although I think it's just the Bismillah Allahu Akbar for most places. And then... Um, but the animal from birth all the way up to that point is, you know, shoved into very tight spaces and such. So I've heard that people say that even, like, despite all those reasons, the meat is still better because, like, the blood is drained and they don't do that for not to be meat, so technically it's still healthy. I think if it's, and this is the one place where I agree with the super hardcore, uh, Zabiha people, so like, uh, Sheikh Hamza Makbul, mm-hmm. Abdullah Nana, who kind of, they have reputations for being super, super, super strict. But they raise the point that it's not just what kind of cut, it, uh, it's not just the fact that it's cut, yeah. it's a specific, a specific, I think, slanted cut. That they make sure even the slant of the cut is done properly. Right? And so I don't know if it's any type of cut, then all the, all the blood and everything's removed. Um, but the specific type of cut uh, might be necessary. So like saying? they both get rid of the blood the same way. So I don't know. Oh. Um, but not like not the super hardcore zabihas. I'm talking about like just random. So I'm saying the the less hardcore zabiha and the super hardcore zabihas. I don't know if the result is the same. Oh okay. Um, uh, but the point being that so so those guys, the super hardcore guys in Chicago, I think they've only approved like maybe three or four places, right? out of the. You know, dozens of, yeah. of, of uh, uh, butcher shops or restaurants that serves a beehive. Like Mr. Brost, I think, is one of the few places where they, they uh, say, yeah, that's legit. Mm. 
<coughs> but my point is that, or the question I'm raising is that, suppose it's only that way that everything, you know, the whole evacuation of all the blood and everything happens, yeah. um, then I think that would change the answer, right? If both ways do it, fine. Then it's a matter of just doing the fit as perfect as possible. Mm -hmm. right? But I don't have an answer for that. I don't know which one does. I don't know if the result is the same. Um, but yeah, but I mean, you can make that argument that uh, because blood is haram, yeah. then the point of zabiha is to make sure you don't have any blood, or that's one of the points of zabiha. Yeah. And then you can say, yeah, I'm not having haram. Right. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if it applies as much to chicken though. Uh, Wait. So do like the not so strict zabiha people? Do they slaughter the animals in the same way as like just? Regular? No, so, so, I mean, the not, okay, well, I'll put it like this. One issue in slaughtering animals in terms of, like, the Muslim uh, industry in America is the issue of the, the slaughter. Yeah. But the bigger question is, what do they do before the slaughter? So most animals, like most cows, will get electrocuted first. Um. And so there's a period of time where they just lose all feeling, okay? So I'm guessing the electrocution probably is painful, but then at the time of actually killing, then slaughtering them, they probably don't feel anything. Okay. But, the, uh, but then um, they may not feel anything, but then all the blood is not getting pushed out by electrocution yeah. uh, for cows. I don't think it's the same for chickens. And then, um, uh, uh, so some Zabiha people will electrocute and then Bismillah Allah Akbar. Um, just because of speed. Mm -hmm. And others of Biha people will just do Bismillah Allah Akbar. Right? But, yeah, I don't know beyond that. No. Mm. But these are, these are questions that we have to, like, you know, address more and more. Because yeah. the ideal would be proper slaughter, but also proper treatment throughout the entire life. Yeah. And even the proper slaughter is, and uh, a friend of mine who sells me was saying that the actual proper way of slaughter is that you actually separate the animal from everyone else mm -hmm. for a period of time. You might even put like some cold towel on the animal's head, um, something that does something in terms of calming the animal down, and then you go through the slaughter. Right? That doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you can be confident that that doesn't happen. <laughs> but that would be the ideal. Yeah. Right? But now there's so much just mass consumption. You don't have that, but what if you cut down? So what? So what I'm saying related to the makeup question is that, okay, so people are going to eat the meat. Yeah. So try to make it as legit as possible. But maybe in other aspects of life, if we can change the consumption of meat, mm -hmm. then a lot of these things will at least decrease, right? So in terms of changing the culture of things like beauty, right, or definitions of beauty, then that can probably affect a lot of other things. Uh, let's see. Let's um, read this paragraph, and then we'll stop. Okay. If you judged case one as permissible, case two as obligatory, and case three as forbidden, then you are like the 1,500 subjects around the world who responded to these dilemmas on our web-based moral sense test. If morality is God's word, atheists should judge these cases differently from religious people, and their responses should rely on different justifications. Okay, so that part we'll address uh, later, but this is... The question that we raised, do atheists, is there data to show that atheists answer these questions differently than religious people? So if you get time, um, try, to, try to take the test. I haven't taken the test either. Okay. And I don't know if they give you results or anything like that. And, um, oh, it looks like they have a whole bunch of studies. This looks really interesting. 
Maybe I'll make my daughters do this. One of the tests is, do you, so that one, the morality test is about 15 minutes. There's a psychopathic test. Do you have psychopathic traits? That's a five-minute test. Oh, this looks really interesting. Okay. Okay, and then we'll continue with this next time, inshallah. Right, okay. Oh, oops. Okay. Okay.